Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Over the next 10 days, we'll reach two goals, two giant goals. The first is 100 million shots in people's arms will have been completed within the next 10 days. And 100 million checks in people's pockets in the next 100 days. Shots in arms and money in pockets. That's important. The American Rescue Plan is already doing what it was designed to do, make a difference in people's everyday lives. So there you go, shots in arms and, and checks in pockets, uh, Gibbs. Uh, I think he maybe I couldn't I didn't get the 10 days and 100 days thing, but maybe that was a but the basic fact is 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 there. The basic goal is there. Uh, so hey to you and to our old buddy, former Senator Claire McCaskill. What do you guys think about where we are politically uh, with this with this deal right now? You didn't want us to drop into a policy discussion. Is that why the emphasis was on the word political? Yeah, because um, you eggheads like you always. You I know. know, I know. No, I would say I was struck listening to that bite and thinking that's the 2021 or probably the more appropriate 2022 version of Biden in 2012 saying bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. Right. Uh, I think it's the uh, uh, detect the beginnings of a slogan. Yeah. But Claire, what d- Tell me what you, you've got a great perspective because you uh, were from a difficult state. You've got a bird's eye view on the Republicans. I mean, it. on the one hand, it seems like, you know, things are going pretty well for Biden and he's done very well and people are going to be getting these, they're starting to get these checks right now. Vaccinations are going to pick up. Uh, and, you know, he's he's on a upward skiing here. How do you see this thing playing out? Well, I think he's on a glide path right now. Um, You know, he was able to get something done, number one. It's going to be, it's not like when we cast those votes for the ACA. I mean, we all knew when we gave your former boss the victory he craved on a very controversial change in our healthcare system, that it was going to be years before people understood the benefits. And there was going to be an immediate political backlash. This is a 180 of that. This is a situation where people are going to feel good about this. And that hangover will, will probably get it through early 2022. So then the question is, you know, what does he do to sustain this? And will they have the discipline to only stay on policies that are as popular as this one? That's the key to the kingdom, in my opinion, politically, for them to hold majorities next year is to only go after the low hanging fruit that is north of 60 in terms of overall popularity in the country. I mean, they're betting, Gibbs, aren't they, that uh, the economy is going to take off. Uh, and, you know, things are really going to be going well, and we're going to get past the virus, I should say, first, and the economy is going to take off, and that momentum is going to carry them uh, into the midterm elections. I think so. I don't know that, I mean, the the the, the biggest challenge, I think, is the timeline of, and, and, and let's put that aside just for a second. I mean, look, the the We've we've known the the economy and the virus are inextricably linked, even if for a lot a lot of last year Republicans talked about them as if they weren't linked. Um, they are linked, 
Um, the, the, I think the question, and I think you're right, the, 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 the upswing of the economy, I think in some ways has, has, has the worst of the crisis was over probably many months ago. Um, not to say there's not a lot of devastation still happening. And so as the virus recedes and the economy grows, it's nothing but but good things for them. I, I think the challenge that Claire talked about is, I don't know that this takes you all the way to November of 2022. That's 600 some days away. That's a long time. But you were as good at math. Well, I'd read that somewhere today. I didn't do that yet. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, but I also, I don't know that, that I don't, Claire, I, I don't, I think I'd push back a little. The, the idea they can only do things that are 60% popular. I mean, I think that's great in a laboratory. I think you can see, and I'm sure we'll get to this at some point, there's things happening on the southern border that I can assure you are going to intercede with the news cycle that are decidedly less than 60%. So, Well, isn't that what the, the Republicans the, the, the are going to do? Well, no, no, but the, well, I mean, are I they going to try? They're they're going to try sure, to pick off aspects think, of this. Look, and, I mean, and, and before we even subject. get to the, but before we even get to the Republicans of that, the presidency is about managing the stuff that you know is in front of you and managing the stuff you don't know is necessarily in front of you. And I think that's the sort of look. Donald Trump wasn't altogether good at that a year ago. Biden, I think, is going to be a lot better at it. Yes, the politics of that also undoubtedly will 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 um, will wash over. I mean, you can see it. I'm, I'm, I'm still continue to be struck that as Donald, um, that as Joe Biden is out there talking about this bill, Republicans have literally left the playing field. They've literally, I mean, last week the message was Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss versus COVID relief. Th- this week there really isn't a COVID relief pushback. They've they've kind of left that field and they're like, let's get to border politics. Yeah. I mean, the culture wars is the only thing they've got because they have no ideas. They have no, nothing to try to gather people around their cause other than the culture wars. And the border plays into that. There's no question the border is going to be a big problem for the Biden administration. But I will also, you know, gently push back that there is a plenty of things the Biden administration can get done that have north of 60 popularity. I mean, your infrastructure, the gun safety, uh, minimum wage, they can keep pounding those three things from now until next November. And pretty soon the Republicans look like monoliths opposed to everything that's popular. If they can handle the border situation without it blowing up even more than it is right now. Question is, what can they get done? Can I get you great minds, though, to focus on this one thing? Given if you're sitting over there in the Republican camp, like I saw a piece in the Washington Post this morning about prisoners getting, uh, you know, people in incarcerated people are getting stimulus checks. That was true under Donald Trump. The courts ruled that it it was appropriate uh, or or that that it was required. Uh, and, but, you know, you've got, uh, now legislate legislators trying to legislate against that. You know, Tom Cotton said, we're giving, uh, checks, uh, stimulus checks to the Boston marathon bomber and so on. And there, there are factual, uh, pushbacks on this, but isn't this sort of going to be the Republican game to kind of, because that gets you right into the culture wars. Uh, so they're going to pick off, you know, some city's going to do something stupid with the money, That'll be an exam, and and little by little, at least for their base, they will be chipping away at this. And the question is whether what Biden is doing is powerful enough to withstand that that kind of sniping. 
I think they will try to do. I mean, obviously, they've already have started to try to do that. Again, I, I'm I'm struck though by the absence of just a larger pushback on it or a larger message. Well, or a larger the larger theme. pushback is spending. I mean, that's the just as it was. But with they're the not recovery. even really making that. And how do they make how do they make that argument? Right. I mean, how, how do they how do they we're, we're all what what are we're spending trillion four and the fourth and fifth trillion and and that's when we think this is bad. I mean, again, I just think there's. I, I mean, I think they're a bit sort of, look, I, I, I think, I don't think, I think they have only, as Clara said, they have the culture stuff. I just think in a world in which we have, I mean, I was struck by this last week. I mean, it, it, I can't really even imagine that in a world in which people are getting checks and seeing and, and, and seeing the vaccinations happen and quite frankly, seeing and getting the vaccination themselves that somehow Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss are going to be in any way, shape, or form greater than that. I think at least in the short term, this is, it's, um, can we say green shoots for Biden? I saw four or five focus groups in the last few weeks of, of Trump voters. And my impression is they're, they're, they'll, they'll happily take the checks, but they're still, they're still um, kind of repeating Republican Talking points, and they, you know, when they, they, that's they, they'll put change. the check in their pocket, and they'll say that one point nine trillion somehow went to undeserving people. But the math challenge, David, is that there aren't enough of them out there. I mean, we 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 saw that a few months ago. If all the Trump voters stay with Trump, and all the Biden voters stay with Biden, the math on that works out pretty well. If everybody, if if they all come out and vote again, yeah, sure. But I mean, that's true for your group of voters too. I mean, I I don't. Look, I think what's pre-programmed in this is a lot of people are going to default to where they've always been or where they've Tribal. been for the last two years. I just think the bottom line on this is if the economy takes off, if the economy takes off, if we get through this virus and the economy takes off, uh, this thing will uh, will look very good in the rearview mirror and Biden will uh, will benefit from it despite whatever sniping and that's maybe why the republicans are turning toward the border which we should talk about but one last thing on this claire um biden named gene sperling yesterday to run the the thing i guess it's two more things on this because we got I, I gotta ask gibbs something about this but and um some people noted well last time the vice president ran the program uh and it does raise uh, are they are they giving Kamala Harris a big enough role? And is she, you know, what is her role right now? I think it's TBD. I, I, I don't think we know yet fully um, how this relationship is going to shake out. I do know they have gone to great lengths to include her in everything. Um, I think um, Biden is very sensitive to what it feels like to be the VP and that her voice uh, has to be in every conversation, has to be in every decision-making. What she spends her time on, um, and, you know, I, I don't see them not putting her in charge of, uh, in terms of Sperling versus her. I don't see that as a huge problem, but it may become a problem if uh, she's not seen as having a more structured role going forward. There'll be a lot of pressure to make sure that her skills are being used and that she is visible. She's important to Joe Biden. Uh, she's important to the future of the Democratic Party. 
and she's competent and skillful and she knows how to handle herself. So if they don't use her as fully as they should, uh, that would be a political mistake I just don't think they're going to make. Yeah, you know, I mean, all, all I know is I look back to 2009 and, and Biden was assigned the, ta- the, the Recovery Act. They sent him to Iraq to negotiate the government there. They sent him to the Hill to negotiate with our government here. And uh, there was never a doubt that he was uh, like a big player uh, in the administration. And I, I just think they that she they need to do that with her. They if uh, you know she needs a chance to. She's really not well known to the American people, and she needs a chance to, and not just on on uh, you know not just on issues of that that you know. Uh, I'll I'll get a lot of mail on this, but you know, not on divert, just on diversity issues. You know what I mean? Uh, right. She she needs to be given a a, a meaty portfolio. I, I think for I think it's appropriate and it's important for her. And if I were her, I'd be demanding. Uh, I'd be demanding that. Gibbs, were you pissed off this morning when you read the New York Times? Uh, no more than normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, fair, fair enough. No, but you know what I'm talking about—the story that said, yeah. you know, the that the these in, invidious comparisons are being made about how, and I need to hear from both of you on this: how uh, Obama handled 2009 versus how Biden's handling 2021, because it was a it was an entirely different kind of situation back then, as as I recall it, and you and I were there, and so was Claire. I think doing something on quote unquote economic recovery or stimulus is is both wildly popular but also probably not altogether by most well understood, right? Um they don't know necessarily what's in the legislation and I think this tour is as much to describe for people what's in the new law and how it will impact them in a way that they can both get awareness to it and hopefully, you know, ascribe some political benefit to Biden. I I do not in the long term or even the medium term think you can give a speech in Las Vegas or Chester, Pennsylvania or Atlanta, Georgia and make people feel differently than they do. I think the medium and long term of whether this works will be whether it works. I think having somebody like Gene there is important to administer it because, again, I think you and I've talked about this. I mean, had we gone out there in February of 2009 and said, you know, um, well, we did go out there and talk about what was in the legislation. If we'd gone in there, and I think I think reporters are kind of mixing these things up, and sort of stated that people were better off than they felt they were when when employment didn't kind of crest until October of that year, we would have looked wildly out of touch. People like Claire would have called us and said, "What are you thinking? Of? What are you doing? This is this this is silly." I, I actually I think, think Claire did call me from time to time. Well, then. and she may have said <laughs> exactly helpful, that with helpful, uh, helpful suggestions. But I, but I think that I think the comparisons are. I mean, I kind of shrug now because I think this is sort of silly. I think the the idea that I mean, trust me, every one of these reporters that's writing this used to email us both and say, "We're tired of this event where you're on this shop floor again and you're talking about this tax credit and we're, do we have to cover this again?" Claire, let me vent and and then you can. You can either vent, and then or, I can correct the record. Yeah, yeah, you vent, and then I'll correct the record. I, I'm the, I'm like the referee in this one. The crisis that we faced was a different kind of crisis. When we met in December 2016, 
uh, with the economic people, it was just that you know the, the 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 full brunt of the thing was just people were just becoming aware of it, and they told us, hey, there's a one in three chance of a second Great Depression. Uh, the financial institutions are collapsing. There's no credit to be had. Uh, and this is going to take years to unravel because that's the nature of these kind of crises. I don't in any way belittle the crisis that Joe Biden is facing now. You know, 560 or more thousand people are dead and small businesses have felt the brunt of it. Workers who, you know, could, you know all of that. But we know what the we know that once the virus is done, the economy can be unleashed, and uh, the kind of relief that they are giving is, as you pointed out earlier, a different a different package than you know. Now, one mistake we probably made was I, I remember it gives us talking back then about can we just send people checks, and the the they said it would be faster if we just let you know let uh you know let them get this in their paychecks through you know lesser withholding or whatever it was so there was never any credit for that but it was a different kind of crisis we were not i told obama claire when we left the briefing in december of 2016 uh 2008 uh we're going to get our asses kicked in the midterms it was just inevitable because they were telling us this isn't going to get better by the midterms, no matter what we do. It's not that kind of crisis. So, uh, Robert's right. You can't go out and tell people things are, you know, we're on the upswing, things are getting better, even when they were getting better, because they didn't feel like it was getting better. Uh, so it was a different kind of deal. And uh, uh, and as I said in that story today, if uh, if the Obama economic record was not a strong one. I doubt Joe Biden would have run on it so aggressively last year, which he did. Yeah. I mean, I think the story in many ways was a, a dumb narrative. Um, I can talk two sides of this coin. Yes. What Obama walked as a, into as any what, practicing politician, as can. any practicing politician can. But um, <laughs> yeah, yes, you guys walked into a crisis of a gr much greater magnitude than uh, Joe Biden did. Um, no question. I mean, we were losing what, you know, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs every month. I mean, this was month after dire. Month but the, the, the thing that you guys had that Joe Biden doesn't have is, is you had a lot of political capital. Um, think of the number of senators we had. Um, I think back to the fact, uh, and I'll never forget this, and I don't know if this day will come again. But I remember the briefing with Bernanke and Paulson, all senators briefing with Bernanke and Paulson. And I remember feeling afraid and seeing the fear on their faces. Now, these were the two most important people in terms of our fiscal health in the country, and I could argue in the world. And they were deathly afraid. Chairman of the Fed and Treasury Secretary. Exactly. And I watched the two parties come together. And it was on the precipice of a national election. And I watched us come together um, as Democrats and Republicans for the good of the country. You know, that's not what Joe Biden has right now. Um, and so his job is a little different than what Obama's job was. Obama had more levers he could pull. He had more support. 
Um, now, Biden's numbers are very good right now, so he's got political capital. But I'm not going to try to equate the two crises because I guarantee you you're right that what you guys faced was, first of all, going to be more long-term problems, was going to stretch farther. So I, I, I get that the story could be wildly irritating to you. But um, I think we had, I think, if I'm I was I'm over it. Now that you guys let me vent, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. This yeah, was yeah, very I, therapeutic. I, I appreciate it. Didn't we have 60 senators? My recollection no, no, was- No, 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 we didn't. We had 58. And among them- among But we got college, 60. I was going to say, I, I'm going to push back on one thing. I would posit we had a lot of senators. I'm not sure we had a lot of senators that were on <laughs> the wagon of doing something. I think Well, we, we had were, more than we have now. Uh, yes, but I, I will say we were, you know, we were, we, we weren't, I don't want to get deeply into this. We weren't just negotiating with Republicans. Yeah, no, no that's, we, there's we no were, doubt we about it. We, 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 we were negotiating we, with a series of Democrats think, that quite frankly, again, the, the, the going, the going rate for economic stimulus around the election for what the financial crisis was facing was, if you Google this, about $150 billion. That's yeah, what I think Pelosi were got about. up to three hundred billion. Right. We ended up with eight hundred, eight hundred yeah. billion. We, we were, but yeah. I mean, the, the point is clear. Two things. One is, we yes, Democrats and Republicans cooperated under Bush to pass the TARP. By the time we got to January, Republicans were opposed to the TARP, and uh, there was a, as you remember, a very strong policy on McConnell's part to let Obama deal with all of this, let the Democrats Correct. deal with and then we can run against them in Correct. two years. So that was one thing. But we had issues with uh, with Democrats who simply, you know, you think your colleagues, you think Ben Nelson and, and, and others Mary would, Landrew. would have accepted a $2 trillion <laughs> recovery. Yeah. No, act. I get it. I so get it. it was, you know, it was, but anyway, uh, as I said, this was just for my own therapeutic benefit. So thank <laughs> we, you, guys. Um, Claire and I will send you a bill. Yeah, tomorrow. okay. Yeah. No charge. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. So, Gibbs, we all shop online, and we've seen this promo code field that taunts us because we never know what to fill in to get the discount. But now, thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online. They range from sites that have tech and gaming products to popular fashion brands, acts, good for you, even food delivery. <laughs> and here's how it works. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites and when you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons Coupons it can find for that site. And boom, if Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. Folks I know and trust who use Honey are thrilled with it. They save money on clothes, on tech gadgets, even on food like pizza, which uh, makes it even more appealing to me. Honey has found its over 17 million members over $2 billion in savings, Axe. Holy wow. smoke. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast, which we appreciate. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash hacks. That's joinhoney.com slash hacks.
getting back to the border, you know, Kevin McCarthy, the, it, it does show the power of this uh, of this particular of the American Rescue Act that that Kevin McCarthy went down to the border yesterday uh, because he understands the politics is not good for them right now on the uh, on the Rescue Act. Here, here's a bit of what he said uh, at the border. And when you go up to Monument Three and you talk to those agents, it's not just people from Mexico or Honduras or El Salvador. They're now finding people from Yemen, Iran, Turkey. People on the on the terrorist watch list they are catching, and they're rushing it all at once. Now, there's no evidence actually to support what he said, but you can see what's happening. I mean, we do have a problem at the border right now, and it's not easily solved. And uh, I think yes, but but let's before we get into this, just for the purposes of being truthful with news, and I really wish reporters would have pushed back on this. To, to your point, David, they they did not find people on the terrorist watch list that I presume would be on the front page of most newspapers this morning. Had we picked up somebody who was on a terrorist watch list on the border? These are citizens of countries that are known to have harbored or created terrorists, right? But it's also the definition of people leaving countries for political persecution. Right. The idea that people I mean, we, we, we're fighting and, and pushing back against the fact that the Saudis have done stuff in Yemen that have caused dislocation and have caused migration. So I just I think it's just important to put that in there because uh, it, it just it's galling. Yeah. But I think you can see I mean, this is they see this. I mean, this is what pisses people off about politics in Washington, of course, because every pro- no problem is a problem to be solved. Every problem is a problem to be weaponized against the other party. Right. Uh, but Claire, this is a problem that uh, that has uh, that is difficult here for for Biden. He's being attacked on the left because they don't have the facilities to take care of these kids. He's being attacked by the right because they say his new, you know, he's he's not tough enough and he's inviting people into the country, even though they're saying not not to come. First, as to Kevin McCarthy, the biggest legacy of Donald Trump is they all know that lying works. So they're all going to be big liars now because Donald Trump was the biggest liar in our country's history. And he, you know, he, yes, there's he got, never been a no one's ever seen lying like this before. Exactly right. But <laughs> on the border, the border problem, um, Biden is kind of in a box canyon here because the problem he has are unaccompanied children. And no matter what he does, it's a problem. And, and and this is what people don't understand. And I'm not going to go too far in the weeds, I promise. But I want people to understand that our laws require ICE to hold kids for a very brief period of time. And then HHS is supposed to take over and have responsibility for these children. We have had scandals over the last decade of people who have stepped up as sponsors for these children that ended up stuffing them in trailers in Ohio to work on chicken farms that were not good people, that were abusive to these kids. So we put in place requirements that these sponsors be vetted. So now you have a catch-22. You either rush these kids into unvetted sponsors' arms or you do facilities quickly and then you're always going to be criticized that you're warehousing kids, that they don't have enough recreation, they don't have enough social workers, they don't have enough educators. So they're really damned if they do and damned if they don't. So it is one of those situations where they're going to have to find temporary 
facilities for these kids and they're going to have to spend the money and the effort to get social workers in there and do the very best job they can essentially warehousing these kids until they can find sufficient sponsors. Um, but it is a real, I mean, everybody who's criticizing here um, don't understand the options. There are no good options here. And that's what I think Jen was trying to explain at her briefing the other day is, you know, because the press is going, well, you know, you're doing exactly what you criticize Trump for. Well, you know, what is what is a good answer here? There isn't one. Yeah. I mean, and you're you're talking about the critique from the left. There's also the critique from the right, which is, you know, I mean, you remember the hysteria that, that Trump created before the 2018 election about the caravans and so on. Oh, and boy, do no I doubt- remember. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. I, I forgot. You were a victim. Of- How much you know, did that I, hurt you? That hurt me a lot, a lot. The caravans really drove margins in rural Missouri. I, I think in many ways... The next few weeks, particularly around the border stuff, is going to be, I I think Biden is going to get, how do I say this, a bit more comfortably into the role that I think he's going to play on some of these tougher issues. And it's the way role I think most of the most presidents play on these is you're going to get punched from the left and you're going to get punched from the right. Um, Because. And I know there's a lot of folks that don't want him to do this, but I think the president's going to have to be much, much stronger in warning citizens not to leave their country in Central America. They're going to have to do stuff to get them not to move through Mexico and end up at the border. Because to, as Claire, to, to Claire's point, once they're here, right, there's a certain thing, a certain amount of stuff that have to be done. We can't we're not going to just take a two-year-old and put them and push them back over the river and say, go back from where you came, go find your parents or what have you. But I think you're going to have to have the, the president's going to have to be out there in a much more forceful way, trying to push the message of not coming to, to, to this point. And I don't think he's wanted to do that because I don't think, I think there, there are advocates on, on the left um, that that don't want him to be that messenger. And I think obviously we know what's coming on the right. Um, and I think he's going to have to get, again, I think there's going to have to be this, <laughs> this the comfort of discomfort in getting beat up by each side. I also think it is interesting too. I mean, it gives you a sense, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, h- how, does, how does this president get things done? I mean, no issue has changed more in, 12 years or 15 years than the politics of immigration. Um, you know, right, right now, the Democrats have the majority in the House, a slim one, but c- can't get an immigration reform, comprehensive immigration reform bill through. In 2006, 60, you know, it, it passed both the House um, and it passed the Senate, Republican controlled, uh, with 63 votes. You couldn't get 63 votes in the Senate for for comprehensive immigration reform on if you voted twice. I think maybe it was even more. I think it was 67. Yeah, it may have been. That was 2013. It was 67. Yeah. The Senate passed it and then Boehner killed it over in the House. Yeah. We 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 had a bunch of Republicans in 2013. Both uh the the House is dropping two bills. Biden has proposed an immigration bill in the midst of this uh that would create a pathway to citizenship for the uh, undocumented uh, uh, people who are here, um, the House is taking that up and a another version of the DREAM Act to take care of these uh, uh, these young people who were brought here by their families who 
most of whom have never known any other country. Claire, you uh, you walked the plank on that one. I remember uh, I remember the president of the United States telling you, if it's not going to pass, think really hard about it because he was worried about you, and and you, to your everlasting credit. Uh, followed your conscience on this. But tell me what you think the politics are now, as Robert points out, uh, feels a lot different. And in the midst of what's going on at the border, how do you navigate all of that? And is this one of those issues that you, you said you're worried about? I don't think the immigration issue animates the American people, except the, the Trump base that is focused on grievance. And he figured that out. I mean, he didn't want to talk about microchips taking away jobs. He wanted everybody to be convinced it was Mexicans taking away jobs and committing mayhem and murder. So this is really created by Trump. Um, I'll just tell you, when I ran in 12, and I was never supposed to survive 12, and that's a long, different kind of fun story. But, uh, I mean, I had cast that vote. I had done things, and I was just assuming they were going to come after me on immigration because they tried in six. Immigration was never even mentioned in 12 Hmm. in my campaign. So I don't think it animates as many voters as the Republicans need for it to animate. I think most Americans think kids who came here as children shouldn't be deported. I think most of them think people who commit crimes that are here illegally should be deported. I think they do not think children should be separated from their families. And I think if he stays to those three points and works on deporting criminals and works on taking care of these kids that are showing up and doesn't separate them from their families, that it'll be fine. I don't think he's going to pass anything. He may pass dreamers. He may pass dreamers, but that would be it. He's not going to pass a pathway to citizenship, not with the current Congress. Yeah. In many ways, they're not, they're not even trying the compre. I mean, I know Biden's introduced a bill. The the house is not voting on a comprehensive bill. They're voting on a farm labor bill and a dreamers bill. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think you could, you know, it doesn't mean if they pass the Dreamers bill, they can't come back and do something using Dreamers in a comprehensive. I, I would be worried that if you just solved the Dreamers portion of this through legislation, while it would be a good accomplishment and important in providing some peace of mind for for those children, I, I think taking that out of a comprehensive equation makes the stakes harder to get to um, eventually. Yeah, that's why we didn't pass Dreamer before and it didn't right. work. I, I think get Dreamer done. It gives I think gives it gives him a little bit of armor for when the left comes after him. It gives him a little bit of sure. protection when he has to moderate on this subject to be practical and pragmatic about the realities that he's facing on it. So I think getting the dreamers done would be terrific. And I think yep. they should try uh, to, you know, and it isolates Republicans as being extreme. I mean, you know, it's like every other issue. If you let the extreme show themselves, it helps everybody else. And I think that this is one of those examples where we should let the Republicans show how extreme they are on dreamers and let the chips fall where they may. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. Hey, Axe, the last 12 months have been tough. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, sheltering in place, kids not going to school, uh, not being able to see their friends, hell, not being able to see our friends. I can't remember the last time we saw each other. Yes, I know. Now, there's a way to get some help for all this, to try to push through the pandemic or something that might be interfering with you achieving your goals or being happy. And that's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed 
professional therapist. Yeah, they connect in a safe and private online environment. Very convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available to clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise that you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors that are just located near you. They've got licensed professionals that can help you deal with depression, stress, anxiety, sleeping, grief, self-esteem, anger. They've got it all covered. Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. If you want to start living a happier life today, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com hacks. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. You mentioned 2012 and... You know, you lucked into a wackadoodle opponent. You didn't luck into them, Claire McCaskill. You you actively solicited a wackadoodle uh, opponent and helped uh, orchestrate his nomination. But uh, but it was uh, it was shrewd and it was. Now, what's going on in your home state now? You got your uh, former fellow senator Blunt is retiring, and your your governor who got thrown out of office for. Uh, you know, really serious charges of assault against a uh, uh, a sexual assault against a woman or intimations of that is now thinking about running. And uh, like, that seems like Aiken, that was your guy Aiken all over again. Yeah. And the Republicans are very worried about it. I mean, they are busy trying to figure out a way to um, stop him. Um, he uh, has fallen into a bucket of butter because he can do the Trump mantra. I was chased out of office by the politicians. Um, none of it is true. And by the way, we should say out loud what he was accused of. I mean, this is a guy who, this is a guy who taped his mistress to his gym equipment in the basement of his own home where his wife and child lived and then proceeded to rip her clothing and spit water in her face. So this is not a, a good well, guy. And threaten her and allegedly threatening her to pictures, photographing pictures her and so naked yeah, and yeah, threatening yeah. to reveal them. If So you think this would be a negative for him in the campaign? Yeah, I think it would be a negative <laughs> for him. And he is um, as popular right now in the Republican Party as any other person who's saying that he's going to run. This has taken hold that he was run out by the politicians and that he is our guy, he is a lot like Trump. He's been on Bannon stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. So now what the Republicans are doing, they're crazily running around, including going to Mar-a-Lago, Jeff Rowe, trying to keep Trump off Greitens. And if he, they keep Trump off Greitens, then the myriad of other candidates who say they're running in the Republican primary are all vying to get the Trump endorsement. I just tell you, I am getting a bucket of popcorn and a Diet Coke. I'm going to hope <laughs> that the Democrats have a good candidate uh, on the chance that the Republicans implode in this, what's going to be a very interesting primary. 
and that we could um, do what has become very difficult in Missouri to do, and that is elect a Democrat statewide. Who is the Democrat candidate going to be? I don't know. I, there's a number of people that are not looking Claire at it McCaskill, right now. Obviously, but- oh, no, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. Nope, never, not going to do it ever, ever, ever run for office again. I'm way too happy. I feel guilty I'm so happy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that um, there is a chance, um, and, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think there's a chance that our former governor might look at it. Uh, there is currently a state senator who is respected, uh, Scott Sifton, who says he's running. Uh, there are some other folks that are talking Your about it. Your former Governor Nixon is what you... Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So hmm. there's, there. I mean, there are a number of people talking about it. I think everybody on our side is kind of waiting to see if the circus comes to town. <laughs> if the circus comes to town on the Republican side, I think you might end up with a, a different nominee than than the Republicans think that we might have. So... Uh, let's see how they handle this. I mean, I'll tell you who's the master at clearing primaries, and that's Roy Blunt. Um, but they've got a problem. They've got Ann Wagner, who's been in Congress a number of years. They've got Vicki Hartzler, who's a Trumper, who's been in Congress for a number of years. They're both kind of cranky because they keep getting passed over. You've got Billy Long, the auctioneer, who's just a, you know, just a Trump sycophant. Then you've got Jason. <laughs> that's perfect. Got, an, auction, an auctioneer and, in Congress. That's perfect. Yeah. And you've got <laughs> this this congressman from the boot heel where um, it has now become the epicenter of the Republican Party in Missouri. That is really Rush Limbaugh land is really the heart of the Republican Party right now, not the rest of the state. So he's in a commanding position. So you could really have a five or six person primary with a lot of them viable. And if Greitens were in there, he'd probably win that primary. Huh? I believe he would. Yeah. It is hard to believe, David, to pick up on what Claire said. By the way, Axe and I like buckets of butter with our bucket of popcorn. So, <laughs> yes, and, and and we have the physiques to prove it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I would say it is hard to imagine for both of you, you know, that th- the circus isn't about to come to town, and it isn't about to come to town, quite frankly, in a number of states. I mean, we've yeah. seen this in Ohio. Yeah, where you see that J.D. Vance. Well, but even before we get to to Peter Thiel and, and J- J.D. Vance, but just the, the idea Mercers. of, um, you know, you've got the 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 current uh, or the former auditor who was running at one point, yeah, state treasurer Mandel, is, yeah, is attacking the one-time Republican party chair is not being conservative enough because again, it's all that. And you're seeing it certainly in these very Trump States um, where, where I would put both Ohio and Missouri at this point or predominantly Trump States, you know, this heat and light around these primaries is definitely going to be on the right hand of the right side. And I think it will be fascinating. Give give McConnell heartburn. Absolutely. Well, because quite frankly, um, you know, Mitch, Mc- I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Mitch McConnell wakes up um, at some point in, in the middle of the night, remembering 2010 and, and the Senate races that got away. And 2012. 2012 Claire McCaskill. He races. thinks about Claire McCaskill, right. the one that and, got away. And so I think he and he realizes, spent accordingly. <laughs> yeah. He spent, he spent accordingly in 18. He's to, yeah. to rectify. He actually yeah. put the stake in my heart. But I think it'll be interesting to watch because I do think there are a number of seats where you know, I mean, all things being equal, Donald Trump got we round up about fifty-seven percent of the vote in Missouri. It's hard to imagine a pathway for a Democrat, except if you get these primaries that get animated such yeah. that you know I'm going to be the the right. I'm going to be to the right of anything you're to the yeah. right of. Is uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a lot of there. There's Hence, not a lot of real estate over there, but people are going to try to occupy it. 
hence the popcorn and the Diet Coke. Claire, you've got these vo- all these legislatures legislatures are going nuts, these Republican legislatures with rollbacks of voting rights and voting opportunities in their states in reaction to fictional re- fictional and disproven reports of of fraud, but really because re- Republicans were stunned by the turnout. Uh, uh, now you got these bills coming out of the House that would deal with a bunch of this, uh, and it feels like it's on a collision course with the filibuster in the Senate. So talk to me about all of that, uh, and can they find a, a carve out so that Mansion and Chris, Kirsten Cinema don't have to vote against the filibuster per se, but can still pass these. Uh, voting measures, H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, without throwing the whole thing out? Well, it's really hard um, to pass anything in the voting bill. Um, You know, there's really not a mechanism right now. You would have to do a nuclear option and get the agreement to have a different set of rules for that legislation. And I honestly don't think that you've got the votes to do that. And, you know, here's the thing. We've got 50 votes. And several of those votes are from very, very Trump states. I mean, the Democrats should be falling on the ground thanking Joe Manchin for running again. Does anybody believe a Democrat could win West Virginia right now? Seriously? I'm not sure Manchin I mean, will run again either. No, I don't think he will. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, I, we lose West Virginia and John Tester. Does anybody believe that a Democrat could win Montana right now? Right. Uh, John Tester is a unique guy. He is special and different, and so is Joe Manchin for all the things that drive us crazy about these two guys. That's how we have the majority. Yeah. And if we lose those two states, we have to pick up Pennsylvania. We have to pick up Wisconsin. We've got to get competitive again in Ohio. I mean, it's not gone. It's not gone like Missouri's gone, but it's, it's you know, getting close. We have to be able to compete in North Carolina. And the, the bottom line is, if we don't and we lose the majority, do people understand what happens if the filibuster is gone and a Republican is in the White House? Do people yeah. get what, what that means to the things we desperately care about? So it is really, I mean, I see it from both sides, having been in the minority and the majority in the United States Senate. I know what we stopped. We stopped really bad shit. I know I'm not supposed to say shit on air. No, but we stopped. well, this is a podcast. You can say whatever you want. Okay. You just said I, it twice. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, 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 we stopped really, really <laughs> bad shit. So I think, do I, am I optimistic about there being a path forward on these voting rights bills? I'm not optimistic about it. Do I think that we should, you know, bring Joe Manchin to his knees over it? I'm not really good on that either. I, I mean, now let me give you another take on this. You know, it, it, the one thing about Republicans, they've been doing this for years. They've been trying to suppress the vote. I mean, we know this isn't new. The Koch brothers started this. Alec had model legislation. They started right. with voter ID a decade, decade ago. So this isn't new. And by the way, people of color know it. They know what they're doing. They know they're trying to keep them from voting. And I don't think it's going to work. I think the more they try to keep people from exercising their vote psychologically, the more anxious people are to vote. 
And I um, do I hope that we can figure out a way to get this passed? Yes. Do I think the filibuster needs to be reformed? Yes. But ultimately, the courts are going to have to help out here. And Mark Elias is going to have to saddle up and do a lot of good work again. And we're going to have to, like, fight this at the state level. And ultimately, um, I think the people of this country know that anybody who thinks they can win by getting less people to vote doesn't have a long political trajectory. It's not going to work long term. You know, uh, the, the one court that they're not going to get a lot of help from is the Supreme Court. That seems pretty clear. And and I think, too, David, on, on, on a lot of this, and I think to, again, pick up some of what Claire's talking about. I mean, I think, look, I think Manchin has been pretty definitive on where he is on, on filibuster reform, except I, I think he left. I, I don't think he opened the door. I think it's ever so slightly cracked. And I think one of the things Democrats are going to have to do, and it's going to make our base angsty, uh, um, which is I think in many ways, Joe Biden is going to have to get caught trying to bring Republicans along on a number of things. I think he's going to have to get caught trying to bring them to get uh, around on infrastructure. Right. I think he's going to have to get caught trying to bring them to mm-hmm. raising the minimum wage. I think he's going to have to get caught trying to do a number of things with them. Well, universal background checks. Right. Which they're not coming for. But, you know, but but what I think, but but and I don't know that Manchin is going to cave on gun control. No, he look, I think Manchin would on that one. He would. Yeah. Oh, no, he's, he was a co-sponsor. He's a co-sponsor with Toomey. But many, 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 many moons ago. But yes, but but I think what what I think what they're going to have to do with Manchin is prove to Manchin, I believe in his heart and I have no, no reason to question it, believes that Republicans can and will negotiate in good faith. I think you're going to have to show Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema and others that they actually aren't actually willing to do that. They're, they're, this is just a show and a game. This is just a, sure they'll show up and sign a letter. They'll show up for one meeting. But when push comes to shove, I, I keep reminding myself of that Chuck Grassley. David, you'll remember it when we were, you know, Max Baucus, again, one of the senators we were talking about earlier in the show was just adamant with the White House. I can get Chuck Grassley. I can get this through the Finance Committee. I can get Chuck Grassley on health care reform. And months and months and months and months went by, no progress. And finally, you know, Obama brings him into the, the White House and with Baucus, because Baucus had to hear this too, because he, he wasn't hearing the message. And, you know, he said to Grassley, like, what, are, what, what do you need to, what would you need to see healthcare? What would you need to see in this bill? And he lists a number of things. He said, well, okay, so if we did all that, would you be for it? Well, no. And, and, and I think that, that essentially, that's when Baucus understood, okay, you know what? I have a fantasy that Chuck Grassley is going to be for this. Now I've just heard him say inside the Oval Office talking to the president, it's not going to happen. I think that's a lot of what's going to have to happen in order to bring Manchin and others along. I agree. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now. And it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven 
to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Robert, before we get to the mailbag, I have one more thing for you. There's a big stink in Washington about the absence. This is a huge scandal, Axe. It's not just a big, this is a- <laughs> Of uh, press conferences by the president. This is an enormous scandal. This is maybe half a click under Watergate. <laughs> I want to know what they knew and when did they know it. But they're pissed, you know. I, I mean, I, look, I think my personal view uh, is I think they've handled this really, really. Biden, they're using Biden to his best effect, right? He's coming out, he's delivering message. You know, he's never he's never been a precision instrument, ever, and uh, they're controlling the message by using him in the way that they're using him. But, but you know, there is this disconnect between don't your old— Don't blame them on me. Don't, hold on. Don't, your don't, old don't flock, Mr. Press Secretary. No, look, uh, I think this is pretty simple, right? At some point, probably in the next week or two, they'll give a news conference. And my guess is, you know what will happen? Not a lot of news will get made, Right. And and we'll we'll alleviate that pressure. I, I, I want to just say one thing to my dear friends in the press corps, as they build this hill on which they would like to they'd like to to die on. Go back and count up the number of of news conferences and news interactions with questions that they had with Donald Trump. Ask them the number of times in which they felt like they were getting truthful information. I agree that for cable, it was great ratings when Donald Trump talked about putting Clorox in your veins to wipe away COVID or other silliness or stupidness. But I would posit to to the press corps, the number of interactions that they had with Donald Trump in formal or informal news conferences did almost nothing to add to the governing of this great country. And I, I, I wish... Yes, let's let's have a news conference. Of course, presidents should have news conferences. They should answer questions, whether it's sitting in one of those chairs in the Oval Office, on the way to the helicopter, at a formal news conference, in the briefing room, in a hundred other places. 
But let's stop making some of these 1970 and 1975 milestones, something by which we measure politics yeah. or presidents. It's just, it is, it's just stupid. And, and I will tell you, there are, there's some people, maybe one of these was me 12 years ago, is sitting in that office, sitting in some of those offices. I don't want to blame this on anybody that's sitting in those offices now. But it's there. There's going to be somebody who says, "Let's just wait another week just to piss them off." <laughs> and you know what? Like, and 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 you're not going to get a lot of pushback because again, it's pretty stupid. I, I will say this: Joe Biden did a, is a, is is doing, I think, a little bit of what our old boss did. Acts we could not even on days in which we wanted to. He just wouldn't focus on the here and now of the cable back and forth. He just wouldn't he he had a longer arc view of some of this stuff. And to some degree, that may be why he was reticent to go out on stimulus. It may be why, you know, as Claire mentioned earlier, maybe he wasn't attuned as much to the downside of the politics of healthcare um in, in that shorter term because he he had that sort of six, eight year arc on his mind. And I think to some degree, to a large degree, that's what Biden is doing right now. He's understanding that to go back to the very first clip we played. Um, you know, shots in arms and checks in pockets are going to trump whether or not he does six questions at this news conference or eight right. questions at these news yeah, conferences or whether it's the end of March or the beginning of April or, you know. Claire, I don't think anybody back in Missouri is sitting around their kitchen table saying, Jay, I wish the president would hold a press conference. I don't think that's their major concern. No. And, and the White House knows that. I mean, I this is this is, you know, this is talk about inside baseball. This is totally inside baseball. Uh, to people out in the hitherlands, the president is engaged. They see him on the news. They see him talking. They see him responding off the cuff as he walks in and out of meetings. I mean, nobody is there. The only people that are on this are the 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 the, the, the news folks in Washington whose noses are out of joint. And Fox News, who wants yeah. to convince everybody that it's because this guy is somehow incompetent. That's their, narr- that's their America- narrative. Yeah. yeah, nobody in America is buying that. Their narrative is they can't paint him as a crazy left-wing radical, so they're trying to paint him as the uh, addled tool of crazy left-wing and, and, and we should just radicals. be clear. We should just be clear on Fox News, because, again, I, I heard this a lot when we were there, and I heard this a lot when we were running, David. At an investor day, right? What did they just say recently about Fox News? They were introduced by the younger Murdoch as this is the place. Uh, I forget the exact phrase, but this is the loyal place opposition that is the loyal opposition to Joe Biden. OK, that is like we can stop pretending like th- there's some good reporters there. I, 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 I have great respect for Chris Wallace. When Major Garrett was there, he was as good as anybody in the briefing room when I was there. But like we can stop pretending like that needs to be part of a rotation when you announce at an investor day to your investors on Wall Street that your job is the loyal opposition to the current party uh, in, in power is look, they were saying the quiet part out loud to investors. I don't think anybody's surprised by it, but it is still fairly startling to hear and see. Yeah, we got to get to the uh, you know what. So Claire, Kevin uh, asks, and I know you're from the other side of the aisle, but you're very fluent in Republican coming from where you come from. Uh, why are moderate Republicans like Senators Burr, Blunt, and Portman jumping? Sh- why are they? Why are they jumping ship voluntarily? Why don't they stay and fight? 
back against the maggotization of the GOP? I think that, um, frankly, they're worried about primaries. Um, In order to fight, they would have to somehow confront the MAGA world. And um, Blunt, you know, do I think Blunt could have survived? I mean, it's a little bit like me in 12. You know, could he have survived a primary? Maybe. Maybe he could have, but no question, the Trump base did not see Blunt as pure enough because Blunt gets things done. You know, he's kind of a old school senator. He believes in getting things done and trying to work with people. And so um, I think it was political. And I think also both of them, uh, uh, these folks are in at a point in their lives where they don't want to be the senators that stay just because they can. Um, you know, we've had a number of those and it doesn't turn out well. I mean, it's yes. not pretty when no. people stay past the point that they forget that what they're saying in caucus has just been said five minutes before. Um, and that's happening and yeah. it's awkward and, you know, people stay too long. So I think it's a combination of things and also being in the minority is uh, not fun for people who've been around the hill as long as Portman and Blunt. Yeah, and it's unpleasant to have to deal, even if you're in office, uh, you know, to deal with uh, the kinds of stuff that you have to deal with if you're taking on, you know, that Trump, uh, that Trump group. Yeah, no, you're right about staying too long. I've always referred to the Senate as the world's most gilded assisted living center. So, well, you know uh, my, you know my most reliable joke when people ask me while I was running for the Senate. They said, well, why, why do you want to go to Washington? And I said, it's the only place a woman my age can be a hot young chick. <laughs> Gibbs, you have one for me? I don't think I can outdo that. But uh, <laughs> Don't try. Don't even try. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm marveling. Now we see how, uh, how, how Claire McCaskill gets elected in a state as tough as Missouri, right? Like, I'm going just for the stand-up. All right. Uh, this is a question from Mike. Mike writes, Axe, what on earth are the Bears going to do at quarterback next? Uh, that's oh, I'm not sorry. Sorry, that's hard. Right, that's, that's a that's an impossible question. That's to a answer. different mailbag. Sorry, yeah. I, I apologize. Let me. M- Mike writes. Let's say you have a family member you love, uh-huh. and they've been quote brainwashed with disinformation. All right. You can't have a policy conversation because you have different facts. Where do you start the conversation? Let me tell you something. Uh, I've seen focus groups. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier in the last few weeks of You're repeating Trump, yourself. Trump voters. Did am I? <laughs> I, belong, I belong in the Senate. <laughs> then I won't start <laughs> I've got anyway, the bumper stickers ready. Anyway, but in the you know what's very very clear is just how siloed these information pathways are. I mean, they these folks were literally um repeating memes that are being drilled by Fox and social media and, and, you know, the Trumpies and so on. And they're offering them as fact, um, you know, and uh, it's that is to me um, the greatest challenge to our democracy in some ways. I mean, it's very you can differ on issues, but if you have a completely different understanding of facts, uh, that is that is very, very hard. And I, I will just say this, you know, I do this other podcast, The Axe Files, and a lot of what I do at the Institute of Politics uh, is very much aimed at sort of focusing on the humanity of people. 
Um, you know, we all share things. We share concerns for our families. Uh, we love, we, 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 we suffer, we, we suffer loss. We, we go through a lot of things, uh, together. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, in my own life have gone through things that I share with, you know, Robert, you know, Carl Rove and I both lost a parent to suicide. It's something we've talked publicly about. We have to start finding ways to see the humanity in each other. We can't define ourselves tribally like this. It is killing us. Uh, so I don't know where exactly to begin, but I think we should begin by not, um, by not starting with the tribal differences and start with our are, you know, the things that we all share as human beings. Now, that is a completely unsatisfying answer, except to me, because I wanted to get that off my chest. But I, and it's know, well I said, uh, it, you know, I, I, I will say this. I, I will give listeners some some modicum of optimism on this. And I'm, I'm not generally an optimistic person when it comes to no, I know that our information ecosystems and disinformation. But if you just think about this, it, you've seen different polls around this recovery plan um, that, that Biden is now touting. And, you know, some of the numbers have been in the seventies. Um, I, I think the good news is it's not many Republicans, but you don't get to 70 in politics without some Republicans. Right. And and again, I'm not that I'm not suggesting that this this is a, a one war. I think this is actually going to take many, 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 many years to get out of the Republicans um, into out of their system. This idea of being told that on a sunny day, the sky is not the color blue. It's a different color. Um, but I do think, you know, this idea that that we're beginning to that even with this recovery bill. And again, I think people they're still in their in their tribes and they're they're still getting into their lanes. But I think I like the idea that at least some Republicans are seeing both the need for economic stimulus uh, and that the bill that passed without any Republican votes, they see some good. in. Yeah, Claire, I think Biden actually, in this sense, tonally, you know, he is very, very good. He does not personalize differences. He uh, I and I think it's a welcome relief from from Trump, but he's not out there looking to pick fights. No, and, em and empathy, em empathy matters. This yeah. is a very, em this is a very empathetic man. And you know, what I've found in my world and there's Trump people everywhere where I live is, you know, I start talking about our grandchildren. I yeah. start talking about our kids. I start talking about the things that frustrate all of us. Um, you know, there are many, many things that Trump about the supporters yeah, I mean, there's many things we agree on. And if you try to find, uh, you know, and I learned this in town halls in very red parts of my state. If you start out challenging the notion that somebody doesn't know what they're talking about or somebody is getting bad facts, it's never going to end well. You start out with the notion of trying to find something you agree on and you build out from there. And that's how we begin to repair this. It's going to take a while, but I'm like Gibbs. I'm optimistic. You know what, Robert? I'm, I'm going to ask your indulgence, uh, mainly because we've, we've run long, but that seems like a pretty good place to end. You don't want me to bring us down by giving you like some terribly pessimistic answer to the next mailbag <laughs> question? 
<laughs> you saw right through me. Even though this isn't bipartisan, I wholeheartedly agree with both of them. <laughs> well, there we go. I, I wholeheartedly uh, love being with you guys. So thank you. And I will uh, we'll see you down the road. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.